it meant one thing. The Romans used the cross to kill. They didn't invent the cross, but they perfected the cross. They, they perfected the crucifixion. They borrowed it from another society, but they, they perfected the crucifixion, and they killed thousands and thousands of men to find out the slowest way to kill someone and inflict the most pain on a man without killing them before they died. Right? That's what the cross symbolized to do. The cross represented torture. This cross represented pain. It represented bondage. It represented dread. It represented all those things together. This cross represented death. When they saw the cross in Jesus' day, it represented death. They would dread that cross. Are you following me? Jesus dreaded the cross so much that he sweat blood. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he went to pray, he prayed, Father, let this cup pass by me. If there's any other way to do this, let the cup pass by me. He prayed this twice to God. Let the cup pass by me. If there's any other way that this could happen without this. But he he also prayed, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. He knew what he was in for. He began to sweat blood at that time. When you sweat blood, I, I studied out and I read and I've watched videos on these things about modern day doctors, uh, trauma surgeons and things that have, have studied the crucifixion and what his body would have undergone in, in our terms today, right? So, so follow along with me today. This is caused by severe emotional distress, right? Um, it's a rare, there are rare but documented cases of people sweating blood. It happens when your body goes into shock. The tiny blood capillaries inside of your sweat glands begin to burst open because he was so emotionally distressed. Are you following me? He was dreading that cross so much that the, the tiny blood capillaries inside of his sweat glands began to burst. His body went into shock at that point. That's what this cross represented. His body went into shock at this point and, and, and he, when he was praying to God, and, and he was arrested on this same night. This was before he was even arrested, before they even touched him. He was in so much distress that he was sweating blood. I'd say we've got nothing to complain about, wouldn't you? So he was arrested on this very night, and he was charged with being the king of kings and the lord of lords. He was charged with being the king of the Jews. He was, they were saying that he claimed this, and this is when he, I'm not going to go into all that that part of the, of the uh, political part of it, but I'm, what I'm going to talk about today is more of the cross. When they arrested him, they took him to the Sanhedrin, right? That was the political or the, the church leaders of the time would have been the Sanhedrin. Then he, th- that's the time he endured the first of his five physical traumas. <clears throat> first, he was struck as he was questioned, but he remained silent. Now picture this. These were big battle-hardened men, right? They fought for a living. And when they weren't fighting for a living, they were training to fight for a living, We're not talking about a a little skinny man. We're talking about men who killed and fought for a living day in and day out. And when they weren't doing that job, they were training to do that job. These were brutal men. And they punched him in the face and they beat him and they questioned him. Right. And and he remained silent during this whole beating. This went on all, all night long. They blindfolded him. Are you following me? They blindfolded him. Then they taunted him. They made a joke out of it. They spit on him. They taunted him when he was blindfolded and said, you're Jesus Christ, you're the Son of God, tell me who's hitting you then. As they punched him in the face another time, as they beat him throughout that whole night long. They spit on him, and I don't imagine they spit on him one time. They spit on him until spit was dripping off of him. Can you imagine how degrading, degrading and disgusting that is? This went on all, all night long, so long that the spit dried up on him. Think about how disgusting that is. Early the next morning, he was taken to Pilate. When he was brought to Pilate in front of the man who could finally judge him, he was already battered, he was bruised, he was exhausted, and and scholars say and doctors say that he was probably already dehydrated by that time. Right? So his body wasn't operating right. Have you been up all night before? 
and he was beat up, and he was beat up badly, and he was dehydrated, so his body wasn't working right by this time here already, and Pilate could find no fault in him, could find nothing that Jesus did wrong. That's because the Bible says that he took his righteousness. Jesus was perfect. He was the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Took that righteousness and placed it on you, Brent, and placed it on me and placed it on you, Brenda, so that we could be saved. Put it out there for us and took our sin and placed it on Jesus. And he took this beating. He took this massacre, if you will. He took this on himself just so that we could be saved, Sister Linda. He did it for us. All this he did for us. He took this beating all night long. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Couldn't find where he'd done a thing wrong. So he sent him to Herod. Herod, the, the highest man in charge, the king of all the land. He sent him to Herod. And Herod, could, Herod couldn't find a thing that Jesus had done wrong either. So he sent him back to Pilate again. Right? But in, in, in lieu of all this right here, they could find nothing wrong with him. He was the perfect lamb of God. But the people influenced by the, influenced by the Sanhedrin, the same religious leaders, the Sadducees and Pharisees, if you've been reading your Bible, the Sanhedrin that Jesus faced had 71 members in it. And I don't remember which one was which, but the, 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 Sanhedrin, the Sadducees or the Pharisees, one of them were born into their job, and the other one were trained to get their job. They were, they were in that job because of their education. However, if they, would, if they would have agreed that Jesus was the Son of God, it would have put them out of a job. Are you following me? Because he came to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God and we don't need them anymore. Jesus Christ is our new high priest. We don't need the priest that was in the church to take our sacrifice to God anymore. Are you following me? And so they wanted to kill him. They wanted him out of their way. So the people influenced, influenced by these religious leaders of the day demanded that they crucify him. They shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate even offered a murder and a thief up to be crucified instead of Jesus Christ. It was, the, it was their... Uh, it was their custom to release one prisoner each year at this time in this festival that was going on at that time. And he offered up a murderer, Barabbas. He offered up a murderer and a thief. And, and, and they still screamed out, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted to crucify Jesus Christ. Led, they, they were influenced by the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin of the day, they had the authority to have you ostracized from, from society, right? You'd be put out of society, put outside of the city to fend for yourself. They had great power. So I'm not going into the, to the political part of it today, though. I'm sticking mostly on the cross. So Pilate ordered Jesus to be scourged, to be scourged. That means they would tie him to a whipping post. The post was higher than his head, and they would tie his hands up to the post higher than his head would, higher than his head would be. And they would have a cat of nine tails, a whip. They whipped him 39 times with, with a, a whip that had nine strands on it. And in these nine strands would have been tiny stones that they had braided into these and tied into these strands of this whip. Picture this now. So they had him tied up above his head, and they would start to beat him. You ever got a stone bruise before on the bottom of your foot, stepped on a stone, stone wrong, got a stone bruise? Imagine nine of those hitting you 39 times in your rib cage. Imagine how this felt to Jesus, and he did it because he loved you, because he wanted to have a relationship with you. And with me, that's why he did it. But they began to beat him. And at first it was only skin deep. But when you, you can picture this whip, when it went around, it was designed that these stones would, would wrap around you and they would sink into your rib cage. And they would sink into his back. Are you following me? So when they jerked this whip back, it would jerk off pieces of flesh, pieces of skin. Blood spatter would hit the ground and spray around them. Think about that. At first, it was only skin deep, but as they continued to beat him, and it was hitting him in the back, I believe, on, on the backs of his legs, his backside, wrapping around the side and hitting him in the ribs. Very traumatic. 
And when they were jerking it back, it would rip off pieces of flesh. 39 times. At first, it was only in the skin, but then it got deeper into the muscles and in the bones. This is, this is what scholars say, of, medical doctors say of our times. This is what they say at trauma surgeons. What they say would have actually happened under the beating that they, that they did at crucifixions back in the day. This is what Jesus would have underwent. I'm not making this up. This is what actually happened. You need to understand this. This is what our Lord went through to have a relationship with you. So they kept beating him, and those stones would rip out pieces of flesh, and it got deeper and deeper into the muscles and, in, and, and into the veins and into the capillaries, which would cause blood spurting. He would have actually had blood squirting in places when his heart beat from where they ripped open veins and capillaries inside of him and ripped muscles open and jerked chunks of the muscles out of his body with these stones. He endured that to make the cross something different than what they saw it as. He, he endured that to have a relationship with us so we could be reconciled back to God. Um, the skin, the, the scholars say the skin would have been hanging like loose ribbons off of his back and his ribs and the back of his legs. Can you picture that? Hanging like loose ribbons off of him. There was a centurion there that was in charge. He was a high-ranking military officer who had killed... Think about this. It doesn't say this biblically he's killed a lot of people, but he, he is in charge of, of being in charge of that man's killing. And he would be in charge of what the, how bad they beat him with that scourging. And he, he knew where a man would die. At. He, he would take a man right to the edge of death, and then he'd say, well, he's had enough. We're going to kill him right here if we don't stop right here. He would take him right to the edge of where he died at. That tells me that centurion had done this a lot of times to know right where the edge was at, to take Jesus there without killing him, right? He's got a lot of practice with this. So he would take him right to the edge of death, and he'd say, hold up right there, cut him loose. He's had enough right there. If, they, if they'd beat him anymore right there, he wouldn't have made it to the cross. He'd have died on that whipping post. He would have died during the scourging. Quiet bunch today. This is serious, huh? Think about it. This is what Christ endured because he wants to have a relationship with you. And so many times the devil lies to us and tells us we're not good enough. We've done too much wrong. God sent his son here to go through this so that he could have that relationship with us. Don't let the devil ever lie to you about it. So the centurion was in charge of this, and he would bring him to near death. And then they would cut him loose, and he'd be allowed to slump over there for a while on the ground in a pool of his own blood. Picture that. If you looked around, you see pieces of your own flesh laying on the ground. You're knelt in a pool of your own blood. Then they placed a robe across his back. They saw, they saw a joke in this here. The Roman soldiers saw a joke in this. They were battle-hardened men. They were used to seeing things of this nature. So they put a rope across his back. They put a scepter in his hand, they call it, or a stick in his hand, a crown of thorns on his head. Now, I made this crown of thorns right here about three or four years ago. And you can check this out. I made this. I'm going to use this nail today, too. You can check this out right here, though. This thing is really long thorns, and they're really sharp and got a few spider webs on it now, but you can feel how sharp those are. Anybody ever mess with the thorny locust? That's what I made this out of. And when I dropped this thing on the ground, I dropped it when I was making it. And in the, in the, in the dirt, it didn't bounce like that, but it stuck into the ground like that. So can you picture them putting this on Christ's head? And then they hit him with a stick. They hit him with a stick and drove that crown of thorns down onto his head. This is what he endured to have a relationship with us. So he had this crown of thorns drove onto his head, and then they plucked his beard out. They jerked his beard out while they punched him and beat him some more. And then when they got tired of that joke right there, anybody know what they did next? 
They were, they were calling him, they, they were making fun of him and saying he was a king having a scepter and his crown of thorns and, and they put a, a scarlet robe, I believe it was, on his back. And then when they got tired of that joke, the blood had just had about enough time to clot in that, in that robe, so they jerked the robe off. They ripped the robe back off out of, these, out of this skin that was hanging like ribbons. And he endured this for us. He did it for us. What the cross was meant to do is what we're talking about today here. Then he was forced to drag or to carry his cross beam of the cross. The Bible says drag his cross. Scholars say that when they, when they killed someone that time, the cross didn't so much look like this, but it looked, can you imagine it with the top piece gone? That piece there, I'll, I'll get to that, what that piece is later. But this bottom upright right here would have been buried in the ground and left in the ground. And I'm not here to debate that today if that's what the cross looked like or if that's what it did. This is what scholars say happened, though. And I'll, and I'll give you the rest where the top comes from later. But they had a notch cut in the top of this thing, and this cross beam right here weighed 120 pounds, they say. 120 pounds, and that's what he would have been forced to carry up the hill. So he had to carry this, this cross beam 650 yards up the hill, and under uh, severe dehydration and, and severe shock, he collapsed. Christ fell down. He couldn't take it anymore. He, he, he crumbled under that. And there was a man standing there named Simon, and they, and, and they ordered Simon, the guards ordered Simon to pick the crossbar up and to carry it up, or the crossbeam up, and, and carry it up to where they were going to crucify Christ at. And as soon as he threw this down, now picture this. If you threw down something that was a 120-pound block of wood, I can imagine it's kind of like a six-by-six. Six. It would have to be pretty chunky to be this wide and weigh 120 pounds, right? It has to be a big, round piece of wood. So if I had a six-by-six six laying out here in the yard, just the trauma of that to grab you and throw you down on that six by six where the rest of your body goes down to the dirt, but your back and your shoulder blades hits this big piece of lumber, 120-pound piece of lumber laying on the ground. He endured that. And then they would have grabbed him by the hand. Now, in the Old Testament, the word hand, it says they drove nails through his hand, but in the Old Testament, the hand was considered the hand and the wrist in the language they spoke back then. So if you'll do me a favor right here, feel right here. Right here is where they would have driven the spikes. The scholars say if they would have driven here in the palm of his hand, you can feel a hole right there where all the bones come together. Scholars say if they would have driven that nail through the palm of his hand right here, the weight of his body would have stripped that nail out between his, the bones in your hand are called phalanges. It would have stripped the nail out between his phalanges. But that hole right there, that man would have grabbed him. When they threw him down on that thing, on that, on that cross beam, that man would have grabbed him and pulled his arm out like that and picked up a hammer, probably something like this and begin to drive that. He would have put that nail right there. It was a big nail, but they say it was a square nail. So I'm picturing it as something, something like this, but square nail, right? Like that? So he, he brought that hand out there like this, and he held the hand down, and he began to hit that hand. And he drove that nail into there. Right? And then he grabbed the other hand. You can imagine he was trying to reach for that hand, but he had guards all around him holding the hand up. So he grabbed the other hand and he pulled it down. And he felt that hole right there in his hand or his wrist. And he put the, head of the, the, the point of that nail right there and he drove that one in. And then they raised him up on that crossbar and they got him up and they raised it up. And they dropped it in that notch. And he was hanging. They left slack in his arms, too. They left slack in his arms. So they didn't want him stretched out because when you're, when you're crucified, you suffocate. So they want you to be able to move up and down some so that you can draw air in and, and try to expel air out of you. Are you following me? So they raised him up, and they dropped that cross beam into that upright right there. And, it, and he dropped down on there with a thunk. And, and, it, and the weight of his body was hanging from those nails in his wrists. 
Are you following me? This is what scholars say. This is, how, this is how it really went down. So then they would have taken his knees and bent him about at an angle like this and crossed him over where his feet were crossed in this way with a bend in his knees so he could push up on his legs and pull up on his arms to exhale that air. And then they took that nail and they drove it through the arch of his feet. And he hung there. And he hung there with that crown of thorns on his head and those nails in his feet. And there was a, there was a sign that stuck up. And that's, why, that's where we get this piece of the cross. There was a sign that was nailed to the back of that upright that said, King of the Jews in three different languages. Right? That's why we have the cross today that looks like this. This is what the cross represented in this day, though. He would sit there on that cross and suffocate, though, raising up and down because your diaphragm that lets you breathe doesn't work properly when you're hanging spread out like that. So doctors say that he would have been able to inhale air but not exhale the CO2, the carbon monoxide that his body made. So he would eventually suffocate there. Sliding up and down. Can you imagine this? The skin that's ripped open into ribbons on his back. Sliding up and down. I, I can't imagine this was a sanded lumber. Sliding up and down on this rough cut post. And he did it for you. He did it for us. All we got to do is receive it. All we got to do is accept it. Finally, they came around and stabbed him in the side. The Bible says blood and water flowed out. And then I, have, I come to my only scriptures today. Matthew 27, 50 through 54. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The King James says he gave up the ghost. That, what that's talking about right there is we're a triune being. We have a spirit. We, we have a soul. We possess a body. We live inside this body, right? When you breathe out your last breath, that's the spirit coming out of you. Spirit means wind, right, in biblical days. So when the spirit comes out of your body, that's it. The spirit comes out of you, you're dead. That's the moment you die is when you breathe out your last breath. Jesus died on that cross when he yielded up his spirit, or the King James says, gave up the ghost. The enemy thought he had won at this time right here. He thought he had killed the Son of God. Can you picture this? For one verse, he got to think that. And then in 51, it says this. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Think about the power in this right here. The veil of the, of the, of the curtain of the, of, of the church was split open. Go ahead. Go ahead, sis. And the rocks were split on the ground, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the, of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Think about that. The people that you knew were dead, you buried them in the graveyard last week. They got up and came out of there. And coming, out of the gra- and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, that's Jesus, right? After his resurrection, after Jesus came out, three days later, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So these people that came up out of the graveyard alive when Jesus was risen from the dead came to the holy city during a festival. That's why I was telling you, Sister Linda, I don't think they, they had to know. They had to know because the people came up out of the graveyard that were their relatives and their friends and the people they knew came up and came into the city. Are you following me? Dead people that were alive. The Sanhedrin had to know. So when the centurion, same centurion that was in charge of taking Jesus right to the edge of death, remember that guy? The centurion and those with him were, uh, that, that, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things had happened that had happened and they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. They knew. 
They knew at that point. Now, this veil that I want to talk to you about that for that veil just a second. Um, it, it, scholars say that that veil would have been 30 feet wide. Picture this. This is the veil that separated the holiest of holies from the tabernacle. The common people could come in, but only the priests could go into the holiest of holies and take your offering in there, take your sacrifice into the holiest of holies. Are you following me? So this veil, this curtain that separated that was 30 feet wide. Think about the, the enormity of this. 60 feet tall. 30 by 60, four inches thick. Think about how strong that would have been. And the Bible says it was rent, it was ripped in half from top to bottom. Four inches thick, ripped in half from top to bottom. Think about the power that that took. But that symbolizes God coming out of there and living inside of us. He made us the tabernacle then. And us being able to go to the throne room of God. Right? Jesus is our new high priest. That's awesome right there, I thought. <clears throat> That's when everything changed, though. You see, the cross meant, was meant to symbolize death and dread and all those things of death. But Jesus changed everything. He changed it from death to life. Jesus made the cross, this little cross right here. He made, it, he made the cross that was meant for torture. It symbolized torture. It symbolized pain. It symbolized bondage to sin. To everything else, sickness, disease, it symbolized bondage to poverty. It symbolized death. And Jesus took this cross and he turned it into a symbol for life, for peace, for joy, for hope, for healing, for authority, for your salvation, to break the chains of bondage. And so many times we think the chains of bondage has to be an addiction or some big bad thing. But what about sin? What about the little sins that we get hung up in? The little quirks that we have in our life? This cross is a symbol to break those chains of any kind of bondage. Break the chains of sin. It's the symbol of all Christianity is this right here, right? You see it on necklaces. You see it on church steeples. You see it all over the place. It's a symbol for life. Jesus changed this cross from a symbol from, from death to a symbol of life. And he wants you to have that. He wants you to have that peace, that joy, that hope, that healing. He wants you to have that authority. He wants you to have that salvation. He wants the chains broken off your life. He wants you to have life. He wants you to have a prosperous life. All you got to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive it. The Bible says on the last day there's going to be a great white throne judgment. Right? It says death, hell, and the sea are going to give up their dead. Some of you heard this before. Bear with me. Pray with me then. Death, hell, and the sea are going to give up their dead. That means everybody who's ever existed on this earth are going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. Right? You're going to be judged. You will be judged. It said every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can choose to make that decision today or you can choose to make that decision at the great white throne judgment. But you will bow in front of God. Believe it or not, you will bow before God. The Bible says so. And the Bible, if the Bible says that you can take it to the bank. You will bow before God. You will confess that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords, right? At this great white throne judgment, there's going to be two books open. The book of remembrance. Everything you've ever done, it could have been 20 years ago. You'll remember it like it was yesterday. That's what you'll be charged for. If you ask God to forgive you of your sins and, and live in your heart, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to do this in a little bit, I'm going to tell you what we're being saved from. This is what we're being saved from right here is the great white throne judgment, right? The second death. Everybody's going to die. The death as we know what on earth is, our, our spirit and our soul come out of our body. Our body goes to the dirt because that's where it came from. Our spirit goes back to God because he's the one that gave it. Your soul goes to either heaven or hell, wherever you've, prepared, wherever you've prepared it to go to. That's what I'm talking about here today. 
This is more real than what happens here on this earth. I'm talking about your eternity. You see, we might live 70, 80, 100 years here on this earth, but when you step out into eternity, it's forever. It's never ending. It goes on and on and on and on and on, and you choose today where you want to live that eternity in. So the second book he opens up is the Lamb's Book of Life. If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're in good shape. You're on your way to heaven. Everything's great. You're going to spend eternity with God. If your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then it says you're cast to the lake of fire. That's the second death. You're separated from God forever, for eternity. Now, I've heard talk that that lake of fire or hell is going to be a party and it's going to be a good time and all my buddies are going to be there. But let me tell you what the Bible says about it. I consider the Bible to be 100% fact. It is the authority. I don't care what your buddies think or what somebody else has told you, but the Bible says it burns with brimstone and fire. And that word brimstone, when you translate it from the Hebrew, means sulfur. And sulfur burns around 6,000 degrees. A cutting torch burns about 5,800 degrees, 57, 5,800 degrees. So it's a whole lake as hot as that little blue flame is on the end of the cutting torch. Doesn't sound like a party I want to go to. Doesn't sound like much fun to me. It says eternity. It says there's going to be crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth. God wants you to be saved from that. He doesn't want one to perish. The Bible says that. He wants not one to perish. It's your choice. He gave us a free will, and you choose. It's your choice today. Whether you're hearing this for the first time or whether you've heard it 50 other times before, it's your choice today. You've got a choice to make. You could walk out of this church and roll the dice and take your chance that you might live to make it another time, or you can accept it today. You can receive this free gift today. It's free, 100%. Now you know what you're being saved from. You're being saved from the second death. What you have to do to be saved is confess it with your mouth, right? But you have to believe a few things first. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's pretty simple, right? I think you're sitting in the Christian church today, so you probably already believe that. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and your sins. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And I'm not so much, so I need his forgiveness. I need his righteousness placed on me, right? I need that. I have to believe that God raised him from the dead again, right? And I have to believe that he's coming back again for me someday. It's that simple. That's what you've got to believe. And then you've got to confess it with your mouth. Can I get every about it this time? Would anybody be willing to come down to the altar today and receive this free gift? Anybody? Any takers? Come on down, brother. Any takers? Anybody else? We've got one. Anybody else? Man or woman enough to step out of your chair today? Don't worry about who's looking at you. Don't worry about what they think. They're going to be looking at you at the great white throne judgment too. People are going to be looking at you there too. But there it's going to be too late. Anybody, man or woman enough to step out of your seat today and say, it's me. I want to make that change in my life. I want to receive the free gift. Anybody else? All right, I'll go one step further with you. Anybody not quite bold enough to get out of your seat, but God's dealing with you today? Can I see your hand? Thank you for the hands. Thank you for the hands. There's hands all over the place. If you're ready to make that commitment with God today, could we all say the prayer together? And if you want to do this prayer later, and you're just not ready to do it yet, maybe. It doesn't have to, it's not any big fancy words or any fine prayer.
What it's really about is your heart condition. You're ready to come to God. You're ready to receive from God. You're ready to change the things that you know you're doing wrong. The Bible gives one definition for sin that I can find as a clear definition. It says, for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when you ask God for forgiveness, you've got to stop doing the things that you know are wrong. You've got to turn away. <laughs> Repent means to turn away from. It doesn't mean you can say what you did wrong and continue down that same path. You turn away from those things. You go away from those things to the things that you know are right. right? And then you have to get into your word so you know the difference in right and wrong. You have to pray to God and receive from him and hear from him so you know the difference in right and wrong. So if we could, church, just repeat after me. Father, I'm a sinner. I know that your son Jesus died on a cross for me. I know you rose him from the dead. I know he's coming back for me. Please live in my heart. Lead me and guide me the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to ask each and every one of you. I've had a couple people already ask me if they could have some of these crosses. The front row is almost full of them. There's several up here. There's probably several in the back. The ones who are sitting around where no one's in the chair, you're free to take those. If you have one in the chair, I mean, take the one that was in your chair. But I'd like to encourage you to tell someone the story of the cross. Right? Let this cross be a reminder to you of what Jesus went through for you. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to know all of God's word to tell them about the cross, to tell them 